glad you've joined us today. A great day, great day to worship God. Would you stand with us and sing? Come, now is the time to worship, giving our hearts. Have you felt a searing pain in your life? Well, I know you have. At points in our lives, running the race, the picture of the Christian life from beginning to end, there are points when we feel a searing pain that actually drives us to our knees. The reason I started off with this video clip of Derek Redman running in the Barcelona Olympics because I, I believe it so pictures the reality of living the Christian life. In the beginning, we think and we have in our minds how things should be, how things should go, how things should progress and develop. We imagine our minds crossing the finish line, leaning into the tape, winning the prize. 
We don't really factor in how really life does go. For most of us, at points in times, there is the unexpected, like Derek Redmond later described, is like a shot from a gun that hit him in the leg, and he grabs his leg and falls to the ground, and he doesn't make it as he planned in his mind. An athletic imagery that pictures for us the way life often goes. And this is one of the images that the Apostle Paul back in A.D. 63 was constantly using as a picture to describe how life goes and how we respond. We've been studying the book of Philippians, and it's really a personal letter to friends that are very dear to the Apostle Paul. And he is talking about living the life and facing the challenges, and he talks about the searing pain. And in this section, verses 12 to 14, he really gives us a picture in comparing it to an athletic contest. So I think as I imagine in my own mind and I think back over the last several years, points of searing pain, points of agony, points of hurt, the fact that that is reality, and it's reality for all of us. So how do we respond to that? How do we work through that? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already attained all this. He's talking about reaching his goal. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If I could for a moment this morning just describe this race and this imagery. There are really three parts to it. And we saw Derek Redman at the beginning of that video clip start off in the blocks. For any of you who've run track, you start off in the blocks and, and runners take your mark. There's a pause. There's a set. And then we hear the sound of a gun just crack through the air. That's the beginning of the race. And then there's the running of the race. And then the third part is crossing the finish line, completing the race. And I would liken it to this, that the sound of the gun, the beginning of the Christian life, is when I put my personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. That, that happens at a point in time. Sometimes it's a gradual development of my understanding, but at some point, I believe, and at that point, and we call this regeneration, we call this justification, God makes me his child. I am his son, or you are his daughter, and I am forever secure in him. My home is going to be heaven, I'm going to be with him, and nothing in this world, nothing can change the fact that I'm going to someday be with Jesus Christ forever. That's a wonderful thing. And so Jesus Christ as we talked about last Sunday, has made that possible. And that is, that is really the sound of the gun is justification. It is, I am His, and I am a child of God, and I am on my way to heaven. 
Now the end of the race, all the way down, and of course this one is 400 meters, the very end of the race when he's talking about crossing the tape, straining to cross the tape and finish is what we call when we get to heaven. It's what we long for. In fact, probably the older you get, the more you think about it. And when you go through really, really hard times, you wish just God would push fast forward on the videotape and get us all the way through this stuff here. Because when we get to heaven, and all through the book of Revelation described, there is no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no disappointment. Everything is perfect. It is perfect. Now at the beginning of the race, I was perfectly belonging to Jesus Christ. But here, my body's going to be perfect. I'm going to be given a new body. <clears throat> Even better, all my friends will be perfect. <laughs> the environment will be perfect. Perfect. In fact, there is not one bad thing about heaven. And it's going to last how long? Forever. Wow. Now, the tape is right here, crossing the tape. And all the way back here, the sound of the gun cracks, and I become a child of God. I'm perfectly His child. I'll have ultimate perfection. And this is what He's talking about when He says, I want to lay hold of that which has been laid hold of me. In other words, perfection. And the goal, the prize, is Jesus Christ and being perfect, completely perfect. Now, the, the middle part of the race is what I want to talk to you about because that's where all the junk is. <laughs> that's where the searing pain is. That's where the disappointment is. That's where the heartache is. And when I run this race, there are a lot of things that happen. There are things that happen to me that I can't control. There are a lot of things that people do to me. There are things that happen to me because I've made bad choices. In fact, I've kind of thought of this running this race as like running through a minefield. And, and yet, I know this, because we go back a couple pages in your Bible to Philippians 1.6. It says, we're confident of this, that he who began a good work here will bring it to completion all the way here. And we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For who He foreknew, God knew us all along, He, he predetermined or He predestined that we should be conformed, made into the likeness of His Son. See? Made perfect, being made perfect, realizing perfection all along. <clears throat> so in life, we've got to remember, we live in a fallen world. We have fallen bodies. We have Satan who's out to destroy. He's out to destroy you. Do you know that? He's out to just completely destroy your life and destroy every good relationship you have. But here's the amazing thing in it that I find is just so incredible. That out of God's love, He's made me perfect. He's making me perfect as I'm laying hold of what I'm going to realize fully. That everything that happens to me, the junk, 
the injustices, the searing pain, people that do mean things to you or things that are not fair, they're not right, and they're not just. And then the other things that I just do to myself, dumb stuff I just keep on doing to myself, which we all do. That all of that is under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. All of that is under the umbrella of God's incredible sovereignty. And when I say sovereignty, and I think it's, I like to use the word um, because it's a loaded word. It means that God is all-powerful. He is all-wise. He is all-knowing. And He is good in everything He does. <clears throat> so I know this, that even though the searing pain in my hamstring, which, to be honest with you, that, that was pretty traumatic for Derek Redman, I'm talking about a lot bigger stuff that we go through than just a hamstring. That even though this happens, God knows it's happening, He's aware, and He's at work to bring about something good in my life and something good in the lives of the people around me. And so this is what Paul is wanting us to see. I think th these three verses are some of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. And we're just going to spend really one, one week. I'm going to follow up a little bit next week on this. But <clears throat> I, want, I want to, you look at these three parts the end goal is being like Christ perfectly, okay? I'm, I'm like Him in position because He saved me. I'm someday going to be like Him completely because everything is perfect. But in this middle part, there is the development, the growth, the change of my life. And I am, as He says, I'm laying hold of what has been laid hold of me. So when He says in verse 12, not that I have already attained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which, was, which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He took hold of me, made me perfect. I am laying hold of Him. Now, here are the struggling points <clears throat> that I see. Along this way, you know, pretty much you're, you're living your Christian life along, and then you start to really struggle. One of the, one of the big struggles is... is what happens to you. And you can't control. Things that happen to you that you could not control happening to you that are really, really hard and painful. The Lord knows that. And He's working in, in that. But there are also my struggling points. Say, And I, I just listed these. What about anger? You know, you're living a good Christian life. You're doing well. And uh, all of a sudden, you just blow up again. You just blow up. I don't know if anybody here has an anger, anger issues, <clears throat> but most people do. Now, some people can internalize all of it. Some people just blow up, and everybody sees it and feels it. What about pornography? What about pornography? I can tell you this, that there's not a man seated here that doesn't struggle with it. And I think it's bad when you, you, you come into church situations and everybody kind of pretends like they don't. Because everybody has a lustful heart. Their nature's that way. Women struggle with the same types of things. So what happens is a guy will go a long time and <clears throat> he'll keep his life, I'm going to keep my life pure, I'm going to keep my life pure, and then you're on the internet, you look at things you shouldn't look at, and all of a sudden, oh! And you know what, can I tell you, nine, nine out of ten guys just hate themselves for it. Hey, I hate myself. 
I did that again. And I'm angry again. <laughs> what about lying? You say, I don't really tell big lies, but you do kind of work around the truth. Stealing. You don't rob a bank, but you cheat your employer. What about your tongue? The Bible says that everything that comes out of our mouth, everything should be pleasing to God and should be edifying to the church. Think about that. Do you do that? I don't. I'm ashamed to say that, but I should. So whenever you speak something out of your mouth that's not pleasing to your father and edifying to those around you, it's sinful. What about addictions? And I'm, and I'm talking about a lot of things that just end up being private. They're private things. You don't talk about to a lot of people. Eating disorders. You know, a lot of people have eating disorders. Alcohol, drugs, pornography. What is it, because I could ask you this, what is it, what sins keep on nagging at you? You know, there's probably a lot of them who say, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. But there are a few, aren't there? They just kind of nag you. They just kind of stalk you and affect your life. And I, I kind of jotted down three responses to what happens. I don't know why I'm standing down here the whole time. I'll go up here so you can see me. But <clears throat> I kind of jotted down three, three responses. The first one is just incredible discouragement. Because when I, either if I'm treated a certain way unfairly or I'm, they're self-afflicted wounds, what happens is, is I fall down, that searing pain hits me, I fall down on the track and I just don't have anything left to get up and run anymore. I just want to quit. And honestly, <clears throat> as I've walked through being a pastor for a lot of years now, if someone asks me, what's the number one tool Satan uses to get at Christians? It's discouragement. It's discouragement. <clears throat> because usually the searing pain is not just the first time it's happened to you. It's happened again and again and again, and you just want to give up. You want to give up. The second response that I see is not discouragement, but pride. <clears throat> and it's hard because... Some people think, well, you know, I'm really doing a lot better. And be, it's because you compare yourself to others. And you can always find someone doing worse than you and make yourself feel better. Like I've always said, you can, you can be champion of the world as long as your world's small enough. And so I can go find some person whose life is just totally messed up <clears throat> and say, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. And you're proud. See, the Pharisees were like that. They went around and they looked at, uh, you know, the prostitutes and the beggars and the lepers and, and the tax collectors. And the, and the Pharisees were kind of like, <clears throat> well, Lord, I thank you I'm not like these. I thank you, Lord, that I do this and I do this. And because their comparison is to someone else. And you become proud. And you know what? When you become proud, your life is a real mess and you don't even know it because you think you're doing well. 
<clears throat> the person you should compare yourself is to Jesus Christ. That is the one we compare ourselves to. And that is the one that we're, we're moving to be like Him. That is, that is the prize. The prize is being with Him and being like Him, fully mature, fully developed, and all of our salvation in heaven fully realized. That's what He's working. So first response, most typical, discouragement, and you want to quit. Number two, <clears throat> you start getting proud and arrogant and condescending and pointing out everybody else's faults. Point your finger right there. And you know what? That's a dangerous place to be in is when you find fault with everyone else and don't allow God to be working in your life. <clears throat> the third response that I see with a lot of Christians is just indifference to running the race. They're ambivalent. They're <clears throat> they don't care. It's like whatever. And I would say that, that the church today, and as John described in the book of Revelation, was lukewarm, it's not hot, it's not cold, that the church today has become without passion, without intensity, without fervency. <clears throat> and so we just coast along in our lives because we don't care. So what I'd like to give you this morning is that I believe four principles of pursuit. If we pursue, we're, we come to Christ in salvation, we're running the race, and we hit the points of searing pain, whether self-inflicted or other people are inflicted, inflicting things on us, <clears throat> that as we run this race, running to the finish line to heaven, how do we run this race? First of all, <clears throat> we must have a dissatisfaction with where we are. And Paul said it this way, I've not arrived. I've not attained in verse 12. I have not <clears throat> I have not arrived at where I need to be. I hope you feel that to some degree. You know, and for Paul to say this, you know, Paul Paul could have said, <clears throat> you know, when I was younger I did this and this and this. <clears throat> or he could say, you know, I've, I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot to develop in my life. There's a lot of maturity that needs to take place. I think for me, it, it's been a little bit of a surprise. It probably shouldn't have been a surprise. <clears throat> but I started walking with the Lord when I was 18. And I remember significantly the time where I decided, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. I was 18. So growing through my 20s, I'm thinking, man, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be really, I didn't think say it this way, a great Christian, but I'm thinking I'm really going to have this Christianity down, you know, because I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm going to church, I'm doing this. <clears throat> I tell you, by the time I hit 40, which was more than two years ago, uh, <clears throat> by the time I hit 40, I thought, man, I'm worse off now than I was when I was 18. And I think because the more I read the Bible, the more it exposes the agony of my humanity. Have you felt that way? And it's like the more I grow, the more I see, the more it humbles me, and also the greater the trials. And so they become more intense, they become more painful, they become more difficult. 
That's why I said I can't wait till next year. <laughs> but God gives more capacity for that. But you need to, I need to realize we are not where we need to be. There is a lot of growth that needs to take place and we should not be satisfied with where we are. Secondly, I would say this, that we must give maximum effort. Verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, I'll say this. In verse 12 it says, I press to take hold. Verse 13 says, I'm straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal. So all through this text, he is saying, I am pressing, I am straining, I am agonizing, I am leaning into this, I am pressing to the goal. I am giving my maximum effort. Now, I'll tell you the first thing that I thought of when I read that was this. But I'm tired. Have you felt that way? But I'm tired. Because this race is hard, it's long, it's intense, and the pain parts, they take it out of you. And it's like the Lord says, be strong. Give the maximum effort. You press on, you strain toward the goal, you lean into the tape. But I'm tired. The Lord knows you're tired. The Lord knows you're weak. And the Lord knows you're discouraged and want to quit. The Lord knows when you want to get proud. The Lord knows when you get indifferent. And whatever your response to the present searing pain, He is there, and He is there to help you work through that. Number three, not only must we have a dissatisfaction with where we are and give the maximum effort, He says we must focus on the one thing. This one thing I do. One thing. Now we would use the word priorities. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the word priorities is really an oxymoron because priority means one thing. So you say, well, I have a lot of one things. And he said, there is one thing I do. I press toward the mark for the prize of Jesus Christ. Do you remember back when when uh, Paul was describing this uh, in, in chapter 3, he said, all the things that I was pursuing, now I count them but garbage that I may win Christ. Because he said, there is a surpassing worth of knowing Christ. A value above all things in this life of knowing Christ. Because when I know Christ, I have all things. Most of you have heard the verse, the very familiar verse in Matthew 6. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when I have Christ, I have everything. I have life, I have joy, I have peace, I have happiness. He is the owner of all the things in the world, eternal life. So when, when I possess Christ, and I know Christ, I have everything I need. And that's not easy because when I go through life and this, you know, I want to chase uh, this, you know, wow, wow, what about this? And, you know, it could be riches or it could be my self-indulgence or my, uh, I want to, I really like this over here. And we get distracted. And what are you saying? This one thing, there is a focus, one thing I do. And I'm going to put aside everything else. 
one thing I do, and that is I'm going to know Christ, and I'm going to be with Christ, and I'm going to be like Christ. One thing I do. And when that one thing takes place, everything else you would ever want gets resolved. But that's not easy. There's so many distractions. I liken this to when I got married, it was in Ottawa, Kansas. Anybody here know where Ottawa, Kansas is? Okay, it's a major metropolitan farming community. <clears throat> this is the most nervous day of my life when I got married, but we're in this, the university chapel there in Ottawa, Kansas, and Diane's coming down the aisle, and you know I'm trying to think of my lines, because Diane's insisting we memorize our lines. I said, I can't memorize my lines. I'm going to memorize your lines. I'm just, I'm trying to think of my lines. <clears throat> and then part of the vows that I made were forsaking all other, keep myself only unto thee so long as we both shall live. Forsaking all other, keep myself only unto thee. It's like, it's the same concept, one thing. So basically what I'm saying is you are going to be the only woman in my life. Okay? Now, what does that mean? That means she is going to be the only woman in my life. So I'm saying yes to her. The implication is I am saying no to every other woman in the world. Right? Like they really care. <laughs> like I walk out there and say, you know, I'm saying no to you and you and you and you and you. It's like, so what? <clears throat> However, I can't be fully devoted and fully loyal to Diane if I'm looking around, can I? I can't. There's no way. So in the marriage, and, and, and one of the beautiful pictures Paul uses when he writes his letter to, to the Ephesian church is he describes that the Christian life is like marriage. In other words, the one and only Christ, my pursuit, my passion, I realize that all of the fulfillment that I need is in Christ. Just like fulfillment as a man, I should find the fulfillment of the needs of a man in my wife alone. Alone. Now, there are a lot of distractions in life. I still remember I was a year or two ago watching the Broncos game when, when uh, the guy caught a pass. It was in the playoffs because I remember that. guy caught a pass and and is rolling down the ground, and all the players got together to argue about why they didn't get that, and he got up and he ran into the, the score. Do you remember that? <clears throat> because no one touched him. No one touched the guy. So he catches it, rolls on the ground, gets up, and they're going, I can't believe you didn't get that guy. Why didn't you? That was your assignment. And, and you see all these Broncos arguing on the field while the guy's running into the end zone. I'm thinking, hello. But I do that. I do that. I'm, I'm over here off on this, off on this. Someone slapped me. Why'd you do that to me? Or I get discouraged about my own life and I forget that God's called me to this race. One thing I do, one thing I do, it is the maximum effort that I give with my whole life. I am not satisfied with where I am and I continue to pursue that life. That's what the Lord is doing for me. And part of it, what he says, and I think this is really important, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. 
and, lay, and reaching forth to those things which are ahead. Forget what? Forget it. You say, but all these good things I used to do, forget it. Now you learn your lessons, forget it. Don't stand here in the middle of the race and boast about all the other races you won. And, and, and don't talk about all the times you failed. Forget it. Forget the past. Where you are today is where you are today. This is what it is. What's happened has happened. You're not going to go back and change what happened yesterday, good or bad. If, it, if it's the greatest success of your life or the worst defeat of your life, you can't go back to uh, yesterday and change what's happened to you. You press on. Keep your eye on the goal. Because I think whether you're bragging about a success or you're so down in a spiral about a defeat that happened yesterday, you're not going to be able to focus on the goal that's before you. So those are the four. The first is dissatisfaction with where we are. Give maximum effort. The one thing that we must pursue. And then I would say we must recognize divine resources. Or lay, lay hold of the prize. Verse 14, lay hold of the prize. And then for next week, <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about to recognize the divine resources. And this is probably the whole key, but I know I wouldn't have time to be able to cover it today. When you, when you run this race, it is impossible for you to run this race alone. And I love the picture of Derek's father coming in and helping him. So I'll title next week's message, Race with Grace. Race with Grace. Grace is God's supernatural working in your life and giving you the ability, okay, the only way that you're going to get from the starting blocks across that finish line is with His grace. That's the only way. It's with His help. You cannot do that alone. So we'll talk about that more next week because they're, they're, to me, essentials that we need to understand in running, running that race. So three concluding words to runners today, okay, and then we'll be done. My first word is to those of you who, to this morning who are discouraged. Believe. That's my word to you, believe. Believe in who God is. Believe in what He has said. Believe in what He has taught about this race. Believe what has been illustrated. Believe what God has done all through human history with others. Believe it. Yes, you're discouraged, and that's okay because that's what we're human. But you've got to believe that God is sovereign, and He is good, and He is at work, and He has good plans for your life. You need to believe that. My second word is to the proud. For those of you who think you're better than everybody else or most people, my word for you is repent <laughs> because you have got a false view. You can compare yourself to a lot of people and make yourself feel good, but when you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, you've got a long ways to go. There's a lot of growing 
to go on in your life. So humble yourself before the Lord and repent. And then a word to the indifferent. I know this is really two words. A word to the indifferent. Wake up. Wake up. Because when you run this race well, and when you run this race in grace, God is pleased which should be the ultimate desire of every one of our lives is that our Creator, our God, the one who formed us, the one who has a will for our life, God is pleased. But not only is God pleased, your joy is full. Because when you run this race in faith, believing, then there is no greater joy and happiness and peace that can ever come to your life than that. So God's pleasure, my joy. Here's something, the third thing is everyone around you is encouraged. When you're running that race well, you say you start over here and the searing pain hits you. There are a lot of things you can do on that track. You can shake your fist at God. You can blame everyone else. You get angry and bitter and upset and quit and throw things. And you've seen all of those on TV, haven't you? Haven't you? There are a lot of things. But you know what? When you get up and you press on and you just watch that video, and what did that do for you? That was heartening for everyone to watch that. And I tell you this, that, that when you press on and you believe in God and you know that He is taking all of this junk, the searing pain, and going to work it for good in everyone's life, that encourages everyone around you. You become like hope for people. Your life becomes like that video that's passed around saying, wow, that just really helps me. That encourages me. And then, I'm going to give you another one. God's pleasure, your personal joy, the encouragement of all those that see you, and then for the entire world, they see a visible expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, to me, is the best part of it, and this is the reason why we're here. Because they've seen on TV the guy that gets mad and throws things or curses someone else or blames someone else or blames God and they see all that kind of stuff. But when they see something so incredible, they see that, that person running that race, it is an outward manifestation of, of the reality of Christianity. And they're drawn to that and they're drawn ultimately to Christ. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And you know what? The, the unbelieving world or the world that doesn't even know about God is not going to learn one thing by seeing you run a perfect race. I mean, think about it. Okay, you come out of the blocks and just the perfect stride. Everything is just perfect. Picture perfect all the way around. First place. World record. Gold medal. That's not going to impact anyone's life. But when they see you and your searing pain, whether what people did to you, 
or what you've done to yourself and you stumble and you struggle and you falter and you, and you get up and people see the reality of Christianity, there's something there that's attractive about the gospel. And that's why we press on. I press on because it pleases God. I press on because it's the greatest way to joy in my life. I press on because I know you're watching me. And I want to be an encouragement to you. And I press on because all the world needs to know of Jesus Christ. And next week we're going to talk about how the disciplines of His grace at work getting us through that because we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Let's bow together as we pray. Father in heaven, you know every life here. You know the events of this past week, of this past month, of this past year, and you know the things we battle, personal sins and habits, failings, things we do, we fail again and again and again. And there are things that have happened to us disease, injustice, pain, harshness, so much, Lord. And I pray that when we feel that pain and go to our knees, it won't be in anger, but it would be in trust. That yes, you are there, the sovereign God, good in all that he does, working your plan in our lives. And I pray you'd help us. Help us, Lord, because we can't run this alone. Help us to see the end, the tape, the finish line is coming when all of these things will be realized in heaven with you, in perfection, being with you and being like you. Help us not to lose hope. And so, Lord, with all the collective troubles that we represent here at Valley you know them better than we know them ourselves. You feel the pain. You sympathize with us. And you're there to help us. And I pray that we would lift up our eyes to the finish line and run with joy in anticipation of finishing well. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come to know your grace as we've never known it before. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, <clears throat> you know, you come to a service in, in, like this on a Sunday, and typically we talk about a lot of things with each other that are fairly surface, but there's some deep things that we struggle with that we don't even have words for, and we don't really even talk to many people about. But the Lord knows. He knows that, and He's there for you. And if at any time during this week after the service today that we can be a help to you, an encouragement to you to talk through these things, we want to be that for you. Aren't you so glad that God's given us His Word to instruct us and His Spirit to help us? And He's given us such a hope to look forward to? God's good. God's good.